Hello, and welcome back to another author series with the Jealous Audio Podcast. I am joined today by Alex Rasmussen, and Alex is a local Washingtonian here, lifetime Washingtonian, born and raised. Alex is an accomplished musician and now a book author, which brings him here to us. Alex and I have known each other. Oh, God. How long have we known each other, Alex? Over a decade now. Over it, right? Yeah. Over a decade? It gets blurry beyond that. <laughs> the beginning of that decade was really blurry. Yeah, right. <laughs> so Alex and I met um, back in the early, uh, it was probably around 2009, I believe, and we both rented a practice space in this old studio space in Seattle called Studio 7, which was a concert venue, and Alex played in a metal band, and I played in a metal band, and then eventually, we ended up both working at Guitar Center together, and so uh, we kind of became natural friends through just the music scene in Seattle, and playing music in the same bands, sim- similar type of bands, and then uh, working at Guitar Center, and that's kind of where our friendship blossomed, was at Guitar Center. That's right. <laughs> and then the bars surrounding it. The bar and the bar surrounding it. And that sadly that what's funny about the beginning of our friendship is Studio Seven's gone and uh Guitar Center's gone. Right. <laughs> Which means that pretty soon this house will probably be gone. <laughs> yeah, eventually it's just like give another ten years, what's the next thing that'd be gone from our friendship? I um, guess it would be Amazon. Because you work at Amazon now. <laughs> yeah, don't say that. <laughs> or Pike Place Market. Oh, man. Also, be... which I don't want to say. So let's strike that you from strike the record. Strike that from the record. Yeah. So, Alex, for the last, what would you say, five plus years or more, you've been kind of switched directions with the music you were playing. Because I always knew you as the metal guy, and that's how everyone knew Alex. And I moved to LA for a bit, and then Alex says, hey, um, I, I heard Alex was doing like this folk music, you know, Americana style music. And then he said he was coming down to LA when I lived there, offered him up a couch to crash on while he's there and learned about his new music. And that's when I first learned about uh, you getting into like the kind of singer songwriter genre, you know, your trips to Nashville and Texas. Hmm. Um, so yeah, what, 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 how did all that start, man? What, what's, what shifted you to go from like playing this rip-roaring metal band that had a lot of local success, actually, and then totally shift gears to this other direction. So uh, I started playing metal around age 15, and when I started playing that style, it it was exactly what I needed to express what I needed to express at that time. And so I did that through my early 20s, loved it, had a blast. Those are still some of the best musical memories I have. Are, are playing in that metal band, playing at Studio 7, like you <laughs> yeah. were talking about. I mean, Studio 7 was just a, it was a, a warehouse with a stage in it, essentially, <laughs> like concrete floor, and people would be packed in there sweating, crowd surfing, just banging into each other, and it was a blast. Uh, but at some point in my early 20s, I started writing uh, poetry beyond uh, metal lyrics, and uh I started wanting to put some of these uh, words to music, and they just weren't fitting inside the metal framework. You know, you can't really <laughs> make uh, w- lyrics about hanging out by the river with a girl sound very metal. So <laughs> I knew I needed I needed a different vehicle to deliver those words, and so I uh, started uh, playing acoustic guitar through working at Guitar Center. Picked one of those up. 
and uh, uh, just started experimenting with this kind of stripped down style of songwriting and really served me well to express what I needed to. And then it actually helped to facilitate the travels that you were talking about. Like I spent uh, a couple of years doing a lot of traveling, playing like winery gigs and brewery gigs and just bouncing around the country and, and playing music wherever That's I awesome. could. And uh, that acoustic style helped to facilitate that because you can't really, you could do that with a metal band. Uh, but, you know, I, I was in a, a solo mode at the time and, and really wanted to do that type of exploring. So that was uh, perfect for that time in my life. That's awesome, man. Um, I think that was really smart that you directly went right for the wineries and breweries and more like kind of a, hey, Alex and I love metal. There is, we, we don't need to like convince you all that we like metal, especially if you saw us hang out, you'd be like, yeah, these guys fucking like metal. Like, I mean, <laughs> pretty much that's mostly what we, we, we talk about a lot in our side conversations and all kinds of other weird shit, but... We're just looking up uh, Lamb of God tickets yeah. right before hitting record here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but then in the same sentiment, like, we'll sit down and jam out, listen to some Elton John, listen mm -hmm. to some folk music. And I think the thing with metal is it is pretty restrictive genre and like the kind of image and branding and all of that, which is fine. That's cool. Every genre has its own thing. But right. I do think that's what's cool about like singer-songwriter style is you can still have that in you and be that person mm -hmm. but deliver the message a different way right you know you still are fucking metal if anything it's <laughs> more metal to be singing folk songs through an acoustic about sad shit like that's more brutal that's <laughs> have more you ever brutal. listened to towns van zandt yeah he's extremely brutal lyrics man yeah, yeah it's very real, dark yeah really heady heavy subject matter, mm -hmm. man. but but delivered in a way where uh it can be i i think a little more easily digested across the board. Like right. a lot of people would be more open to listening to to an acoustic guitar and somebody singing those lyrics than than being blasted with it by a metal band. Which I mean, I love both deliveries, but uh, it's a little easier to show my girlfriend Towns Van Zandt his <laughs> children about them. <laughs> well, and maybe talk talk about some of the coolest places you've played. I really had a lot of fun in uh, Austin, Texas. So just outside of Austin, there's the the hill country, which is beautiful stretch of rolling hills and a lot of little streams and rivers uh, running through. And so there are some really cool venues out there. Like a majority of the, the venues in that area will be outdoor stages. And so uh, there's some that are you know, up on hillsides that look over the the hills. And I mean, the sky in Texas just goes on forever. So that's kind of your backdrop for those gigs. Uh, and the people down there are great too. Like people really love their, their live music in that area. So I, I had a blast playing in and around Austin. I really like Sedona, Arizona. That's a, a great mecca for those type of gigs because there's a huge wine culture down there as well. And the the scenery surrounding that uh, area is just breathtaking. I mean, all the red rock um, formations and the the greenery in the valley combined with that is beautiful. Did you find that that was helpful for like writing new music too? Was like getting on the road and like visiting places like you got more? Ins did you find more inspiration from that too to like start writing more? One hundred percent. Actually, a lot of this book 
that we'll be getting into, this poetry book, uh, was either inspired by or written while traveling around and, and playing the music. Because uh, it, it serves me in the sense that you would be filling up a, uh, a gas tank, you know, like an inspirational gas tank, being out on the road and collecting all these new experiences, meeting all these new people. It, it, it just like gives you so much to work with, so many raw materials to, to turn into songs or poems or whatever they may be. That's awesome. Well, speaking of your book, um, when did you get, when did this book come about? Like, when did you write it? When did you publish it? And, you know, how did it, how did it get here today? So I started writing the, uh, the poems around like 2015 and, uh, had a few of them coming out, uh, but they were pretty sporadic, you know, it was in between songs and I had just published a novel as well, so I uh, had got that out, was still writing music, but there were some words that were coming out that were not fitting within a song structure, and so I showed them to some people, and they said, yeah, these are poems, you know, though they weren't very, they didn't feel very conventional. Uh, but I just started stashing those on a computer, and, and over the course of uh, four years or so, uh, I collected over a hundred of them and then kind of whittled that collection down to the just around 40 that are in the book and released that last February. So about a year ago. Cool. Yeah. That, I, I was like, or last cool. January. I was actually. like, that's cool. If it's kind of been like the one year anniversary of most of your book and now we're doing a, a podcast uh, slash book on tape with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nice timing. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, for those of you, if you haven't listened to the other podcast I do uh, with another local author here, Victor Rodriguez, um, what what kind of the, the thing we're trying to do here is I want to feature authors or artists from the Pacific Northwest and, you know, give them a voice in a different way, um, you know, podcast form. But also what we're doing with this is that Alex is going to read for you and that, that reading will also be help Alex turn this into a book on tape. So, you know, we'll have a whole section of this book that will be recorded and then that can be used as a book on tape so while alex is reading you know it, it's just that time that time's for him to read a story and for you to all get in the mood and really feel the vibe of what alex is reading and we'll just be here along i'll be here along for the journey and you know we'll read a batch of these poems and then we'll talk and hang out and it's going to be fun so so i'm really excited for alex to be reading his book uh, and the book is titled inside out and it's a really cool looking book. It's got this watercolor kind of vibe going on to it with the Renaissance man on the front. Did you draw this version of it? Uh, my sister actually Your did sister that. drew it. Yeah. It's a really cool cover. I like it. Um, it stands out in my book collection because of the watercolor on it. Um, so if folks, you see this, uh, you'll, I think it'd be neat for you to look it up. We'll put it on the picture for the episodes too, of course. So Inside Out is a collection of poems by a Seattle-raised writer and musician, Alex Rasmussen. Composed over the course of several years spent performing across the U.S., the poems explore topics from love to loneliness, eccentric painters to hollow consumers. Each work is a piece of a puzzle which, once assembled, shows in vivid detail a life shaped by the journey from turbulent childhood to nomadic artist. So, Alex, I'd like to let you at this time... Begin your book, please, for us, and serenade me away. All right. 
So this book is dedicated to the miles, places, conversations, and faces. They have a wonderful way of shaping a person. The first poem is called Por Siempre. All you can eat mango chicken, rice and beans, deep fried plantains, only 200 pesos. Pinch me. The mojitos are made fresh. After each sip, I pick mint from my teeth. The Cuban band is added again, jamming their afternoon set in front of an open window. The vast blue Pacific smiles from behind the bass player, the conga man. The palm trees have forgotten to bring their IDs, so they watch the show from outside. A two-story place with white walls, black marker scrawled across every inch. Forty years of names, dates, and concise declarations. Some of love. Many of love in a place like this. Maria y Carlos, por siempre. Even the white cylindrical lampshades that dangle above the bar have been marked by those brave enough to balance atop the wobbly stools. After a few of these mojitos, that could prove quite the feat. Out of the sunlight, a man and girl strut through the door. He leads the way. Hand in hand, they find a table and sit down. My buddy looks at the girl, then at the man. Guy must be loaded, my buddy says. I consider the girl, early 20s, a fair-faced Latina with large, curious eyes and a confident glow, seated with provocative poise across from a man who looks as though he could be her grandfather. Yeah, I agree. Looks about right. There's a strange mechanical groan, and the middle of the room begins to glow. The light expands, growing brighter. My buddy and I look up. The roof is sliding apart. The sky's blue eye opening above us. We are now drinking outside. I order another plate of mango chicken, another mojito. Periodically, I steal glances at the young beauty as she converses enthusiastically with the man across from her. Crimson lips open wide when she laughs. Beyond the girl's reaction to this man, all I can see of him is the back of his graying head, bobbing slightly as he continues to make her smile. Suddenly, the band kicks into an up-tempo tune, and the man and girl lean forward in mutual recognition of the song. He takes her hand and they stand. As soon as they clear the table, he spins her atop the black and white tile. She glides gracefully in thick heels. Their bodies move fluidly to the island sound, elbows bent, hips swaying, Faces wearing matching looks of supreme contentment. Synchronized sensuality. With both hands, he pulls her close. She looks up at him, into him, loses herself. And then I understand. This is called Force. It's alive. If you open your ears, it will call to you. The voice of the one thing you desire, the single word you'd like to say, the only thing you'd choose to do. Say it. Do it. And out of respect, the force will lead you to extraordinary places, show you scenes you never thought possible. You see, it rewards those brave enough to live from the inside out. We have an interesting relationship, this power and I. 
It has been known to dance with me one day, only to leave me behind the next. I can't blame it, though. That force sees through me, and it has no tolerance for cowardice or dishonesty. So, in times when I am weak, the force leaves me to ponder and evolve, knowing that its time would be best spent in the company of those living in the light, rather than wasted on some fool who hides in safe shadows. Elastic Alana The first time she showed me one of her paintings, splashed onto the paper in short bursts of whiskey madness, I tried to find something that I liked about it. Those colors you've chosen go really well together. I wasn't lying, but I also didn't tell her that I thought she'd never sell the piece as she was planning to. Who was I to put a price on her art, though? Who was I to say that someone wouldn't see what she saw? I ordered another beer, she another whiskey. Then, with one earbud blasting her favorite band, the other ear was left alone so our conversation could continue. She proceeded to dip the paintbrush in the blue before slashing it like a swashbuckler across the defenseless paper. After the strike, Alana immediately drew back rubbing her chin and considering the effect of her blow. Without warning, she attacked again, and again. After reloading her brush with paint, Alana took a sip while contemplating her next move. Then, entertaining a sudden burst of inspiration, she slammed the glass down and lashed out. Her passion fascinated me, though the work itself did not. Alana seemed to harbor emotions begging for some outlet but as far as I could tell, these were simply spewed onto the page without any clarity or form. This may have been exactly what Alana was after, exactly what she was feeling, some internal whirlwind, but her storm failed to move anything inside me. I think, Alana spoke between brush strokes, you have to erase your ego, allow the force to flow through you, be an open channel. Alana rested a palm on her cheek, eyes wide staring at the paper while searching for her next words. She glanced at me quickly, as if some invisible entity had jerked her head my direction. Alana pointed a finger. If the eagle blocks that channel, you get nothing. She went back to painting, and I sipped my beer, listening. That's why all those guys were so fucked up, because they were vulnerable. Everything affected them. Alana laid her brush on a paint-stained napkin before grabbing another brush from the cup in front of her. She dipped the new brush in red and continued to speak as she worked. The way I see it, you have to be elastic. Let life move you, bend you, affect you. Don't be a brick wall. A brick wall won't create shit, because nothing moves the wall, nothing affects it. Be elastic, like a rubber band or something, you know? Something pulls at that and it just bends back. And the further it bends, the more force there is when it shoots the other direction. When Alana said shoots, she swung the paintbrush in front of her and threw a streak of red across the face of the bartender who was muddling a mojito. Alana was asked to leave. That was the first time I'd met Alana, six months ago, and I had the pleasure of running into her again today. Same bar, same stool, same single earbud, paint supplies scattered across the counter in front of her. Her arms moved frantically, attached to a body that swayed slowly like a patient snake. A thoughtful hand found her chin. 
What you working on? I asked while hanging my coat on a hook below the bar. Well, she spoke without looking up from her work. I've recently taken over a small country. She turned to face me, squinting her eyes and whispering with a hand cupped around her mouth. I make all the citizens wear their underwear on their heads, and they can only wash them once every two weeks. Alana removed her hand and snickered to herself. I laughed and pointed to the painting in progress. I mean, what's this? Oh, this! Alana set her brush down to grab the paper with both hands. She then held the fresh creation an inch from my face, nearly smearing wet paint across my nose. I leaned back to get a better look. Two human figures, painted using black and white, sat facing each other inside a bubble at the center of the paper. Outside the bubble, multicolored streaks tangled angrily, attacking from every angle and appearing determined to penetrate the piece of the couple's cocoon. I peered beyond the painting to its creator, who had, for the moment, traded an air of unshakable confidence for some nervous uncertainty. What do you think? she asked bashfully. I scanned the work once more before looking at her. Then, happy to tell the wholehearted truth, I answered. I love it. Thing. I shot upright in bed. Darkness. I couldn't see the thing, but I could feel its presence. My eyes adjusted to the low light, yet I still couldn't make out any figure. It was watching me, though. I knew it. I turned toward the window and pried the plastic slats apart with my little fingers, allowing me a glimpse of the road below. Cars were parked along the silent street, 2 a.m. drizzle. Bare branches swayed slowly in the winter wind. A trash can lay on its side. Contents vomited onto the pavement. A plastic bag blew lazily down the sidewalk, urban tumbleweed. There it was, a shadow standing beneath the streetlight. My stomach tightened in one horrible spasm. A man, maybe? The thing didn't move. It just watched. I pulled my fingers from the blinds. The slats snapped shut. I closed my eyes and prayed to something, anything. My grandparents had told me about Jesus, so I chose him. That was supposed to help. When I opened the blinds again, the thing was still there, shadow standing, watching. It knew me, knew everything about me. It knew that my father wasn't home to protect me. The thing was waiting for me to fall asleep, then it would make its move. If I stayed awake, I would stay safe. I laid back down and stared at the ceiling, which began to undulate in creamy waves. When I became bored of this, I sat up and observed the shadows in the corners of the room that would dance and grow and shrink. Heavy footsteps stomped up the front stairs. My body became rigid. I couldn't move. No breath. There was a growling mumble. The front door opened, slammed shut. A terrible voice barked some word I couldn't understand. The thing lumbered up the stairs, dragged a shoulder against the hallway wall. It was coming toward my room. I leapt out of bed and tiptoed across the carpet toward the closet. I slid the door open and hid inside, behind the hanging clothes. It won't find me here. 
The thing moved down the hall, steel feet stamping closer, just outside my door. I closed my eyes and prayed to something, anything. My grandparents had told me about Jesus, so I chose him. And thanks to him, the thing went into my father's room and left me alone. This is an untitled poem. She's yours now, but she was once mine. Soon she will be his, maybe hers. After that, she will belong to the earth and the stars and the sky again. And one day you will realize that you never had her because you never could. She is everything, and so are you. And for a sweet moment, a blink in the eyes of eternity, you both recognized this truth, reminded each other of your power, your divinity, and then the moment was done, but your eyes remained open. All right. Two truths. Without curiosity, we are dead. Without beer, I am thirsty. Front lines. It hurts, doesn't it? When you say hello, and instead of responding, they quickly avert their fearful eyes. It hurts, doesn't it? When they say that your clothes, the way you think, and the way you speak are strange. It stings, but somehow you enjoy it, because it means you aren't like them, and you never will be. It hurts, doesn't it? When you tell them something heartfelt, something important, and they don't even look up from their phones. It hurts, doesn't it, when they lie to you, disrespect your time, and play games with you. They lead you on because they want the attention, but they're too scared to be vulnerable, to connect. It hurts, doesn't it, feeling like you're too small to have a significant impact on this often twisted world, feeling no more influential than a grain of sand. It hurts, doesn't it, fighting day after day against a culture that wants to shape you. You that is honest, you that is radiant, you that is brave and bold and beautiful. Yes, it hurts. And I imagine it will always hurt. Striving to be open-minded, unique, courageous, hopeful, loving, and kind. But you have chosen this fight, and so have I. So, fellow warrior, when you feel alone out here on the front lines, when you feel like no one understands, like no one truly cares, look to me fighting beside you, and with a nod, we will ease each other's hurt. Neighbor for a week. I've moved into the suburbs, your neighbor for the week. I'm the man who sleeps in the van you spotted down the street. The Dodge that's parked beside the house, boarded up and ivy-covered, where I took a cold shower, no curtains, no power, and each day I'll take another. Because although I do not pay for a room, I can't stand the feeling of grime, offending eyes and attracting the flies, being sticky all the time. But even with my clean appearance, you still don't smile or wave back when I'm walking the street and our eyes meet and I flutter a friendly hand. There's a distinctive glaze over your eyes, something elusive you seek, and I'd help you to find it if I just had the time, but I'm only your neighbor for a week. Over the Wall 
It's a sleepless evening and she visits me again. Coming alive through one of many memories burnt deep into my brain, recalled at will to fill lonely silences. I'll take those memories with me to the grave, those nights. They are forever, and nothing can change that. Nights when we searched each other to find ourselves. Perfect legs laid across mine as she told me how she believed in nothing, asking me what's the point of all this, of life. Well, I could tell her now that we were living it then, she and I. I remember telling her that I didn't believe her nihilism. I told her that she laughed like this meant something to her, loved like it meant something. I can still feel her now, kisses upon my bare chest, lying silent and satisfied atop shifted sheets, the look in her eyes as she turned her head, meeting my gaze while we came together with fingers intertwined. Those were beautiful evenings, lost together, and I wished they would last forever. But then she built the wall. Maybe it was always there, but she had allowed me a brief peek beyond the brick, revealing vast meadows and cerulean skies, a massive, uncharted terrain, enticing, enchanting, begging to be explored. Without a thought, I ran home, gathered my things, and, with tail wagging, returned to scale the wall. But upon peeking over, I found a wasteland. Storm clouds vomiting black rain, gnarled branches growing from gray muck, scratching the screaming sky. Discouraged and confused, I returned home and studied my map. Perhaps I'd been lost, maybe a broken compass. I checked my coordinates, re-evaluated my equipment, and set out once more, determined and sure. But again, after scaling the brick, I found only desolate darkness, miles of belching swamp and black mud. Defeated, I climbed down and sulked nine miles home. Onward. Days turned into weeks, and weeks into months, a flower wilting, withering slowly. I've since explored other places, lived in different lands, but, ever curious, I still wander back to that wall now and again, and each time I climb the cracked brick to gaze upon an endless nothing, a small part of me still holds the hope that one day I'll rise to relive that vibrant paradise, blue, green, and breathing life for miles as it rolls without fear into the horizon. Well, Alex, that was a very uh, inspirational first, I guess we could call it chapter, if you will, into this journey we're about to go on with this book. Um, I, mean, I feel like it, it did a really good job of like kind of introducing the book. Like I, I know you spoke a little to this about, you know, the intentional layout of this, you know, like you, you, you put time into thinking about the order of these poems that they would read in, right? Definitely. You, you put a lot of effort into that. And, uh, I feel like already at this far into the book, it shows, like cool. especially hearing you read it because I've read your book um, on my own when you first got it. Which, by the way, you still haven't signed my book, so you got to sign my book. <laughs> I've been um, waiting for the perfect moment. I think after we do this and we have the, um, you know, it's a tradition of Jealous Audio to drink from the Dos Hombres Mescal, the elusive Mescal. It's a great tradition, and then you can sign my book while you do that. Sounds good. See, that's the perfect moment. There you go. So <laughs> it has um, come. <laughs> I want to talk about um, 
a couple of these in here. Cause okay, first I'm gonna talk about the one that kind of made me laugh, and I I didn't want to laugh like out loud because I'm trying to let you read the book. Right. It's just the the two truth ones. Oh yeah. It's super short. It's just. Without curiosity, we are dead. Without beer, I am thirsty. Yeah. Fucking right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That was, uh, <laughs> I, if it's not already uh, obvious, I mean, that was written in a bar. I always carry this little pocket notebook around with me. Yes, you do. I've and, always seen you with those. Yeah. Yeah. For years and years. And yeah. oftentimes, uh, inspiration will strike when you least expect it. And so, you know, that will come in the form of a line or... Uh, maybe an idea that will turn into a poem or a song or something like that. And so, uh, I don't know, at one point I was sitting at a bar. I think it was between bands that I was watching, playing. I was drinking. I had the notebook. And I started thinking about uh, what a what a pleasant surprise it is when you meet somebody who has genuine curiosity. You know, they actually want to know about you. They actually give, uh, they they care about who you are, what you're doing, what your life is about. And uh, so I thought about writing a poem about that. And uh, rather than it being a poem, uh, I, I wrote that line, without curiosity, we're dead. And then I, my beer was out. And so <laughs> so there, the other line came from that too. And, and you know, it, it didn't seem necessary at that point to do a full poem. It was just, it was what it was. And, uh, and that's all I needed. For that idea, <laughs> I love it, dude. Because uh, it, it those little I I when I was a kid, I used to love finding poems like that, and mm-hmm. like when I would do book reports, because just to piss my teacher off, it was like <laughs> really short. Yeah, but then like I could just like you could write a paragraph about the profoundness behind something short, you know, like keep, right. you know, the old keep it simple, stupid the kiss <laughs> thing. Like sometimes there's more to be discovered in a simple profound statement like that it's a good one it's a that's thanks that's, man. that's i wouldn't call it bumper sticker ready because i think bumper sticker ready is a little bit of a slap on the rear hey <laughs> this is a, that's a bad pun but whatever i think it's um it's more like coaster like like a drink coaster kind of statement <laughs> or, or, or more like it's like the bronze medal yeah yeah, of yeah. The, or, uh, yeah the distilled wisdom world or one of those tearaway calendars where it just has like a nice quote every day. Oh yeah. Yours isn't only <laughs> in that book in that calendar, it's the one they show in the box. Right. That's okay. how they sell okay. the that's how they sell the whole fucking calendar is with without curiosity we are dead. Without beer I am thirsty. Yeah, I feel like that's a <laughs> that would be good for uh like a dad gift. Totally. Tearaway calendar. Yeah, and it just know? and then it, and then the, you'd get the theme probably turns more into beer and stuff. <laughs> right. Um, or if it's a coaster, it's one of those that's already got the the ring is already on it. You know, <laughs> is that? Oh, by the way, speaking of that, is that what the front of your book cover is intended to look like? So I like a, gave, a napkin with like a drink that's been sitting on it because it has that like watercolor ring around it. Like, it's really cool that you bring that up because I've never thought of that. And and when I gave the poems to my sister, I just I, I gave her the batch and I said, hey, I would love to see what you come up with. Uh, after reading these and so i'd have to ask her if that was her intention there because uh it does look like that now yeah, that it's you almost mentioned. like a lip kissed a uh, lipstick napkin oh cool with yeah so i i love art like this where it's kind of like very zoomed in on it you know like, mm-hmm. so up close you know it just looks like really pretty watercolor with the uh, renaissance man and it says inhale experience exhale creativity again 
I keep mentioning what it exactly looks like, but for the podcast, we'll have the Im- we we'll definitely use the book cover as the image for it. Cool, because I like it a lot. She did a great job. She with did. It. It's really really cool. And I think after looking at it now, I was just sitting here while you're reading. I'm like, man, you know, from far away, if this was zoomed out, that's a napkin with a lipstick. Yeah. You know, kind of over exaggerated lip lipstick kind of kiss on a napkin, and then a, a ring from a drink sitting there, which fits the. Theme perfectly. Yeah, I mean, these are stories you thought of throughout your travels, right? Meeting people in bars, you know, times with ladies, right? Yeah, that would be cool. I'd have to ask uh, and see if any of that was premeditated on her part, or if it just kind of serendipitously lined up like that. Totally. Um, So, neighbor for a week was my favorite one thus far. Okay, cool. Um, Well, actually, it's kind of a short time. I think you opened the book really well with um por siempre because that just that just instantly puts me in travel mode yeah right that, that story that was a really good choice for putting that at the head because i instantly am like all right i'm not where i'm at anymore i'm cool. in a different totally different place yeah. i've already placed myself like in some little pueblo in really deep south texas mm. or like even getting into like you know mexico or somewhere like right. that's where i've already envisioned myself being when when you read this and where i where the where I was going to be while you read the book. Cool. Like I picture blue skies and sun and lots of beach type beverages mm-hmm. while, reading, while you've been reading this. Yeah. Yeah. And that salt kissed air. Shit. <laughs> I think it's time for you to write one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but neighbor for a week was my favorite because when I, when you came down to LA and you had this van, you had this mail van uh-huh. That you had converted into uh, basically your sleeping quarters, like right. And it wasn't any normal van. This was a mail van, and it was clever because it was very Alex of you to be like, "Yeah, you see, this van's already protected because one, it's a mail van. Who the hell would rob a mail van? Right. And two, it's got the metal caging in it, like a mail van would have. So it would be a pain in the ass to break into it. Okay. Right. Oh, I think uh, Alexa. That's or Siri creepy. had that's something kinda, to say about that. That's actually really creepy that that just turned on. What word did I say? Did I say, hello, Siri? I Maybe it's because you're talking about a, a United States government vehicle, and she's <laughs> she's reporting back to them. <laughs> so She's on the watch. But, but I thought that was... Um, I thought that was really clever. That it, you, you, you had that, and I was like, this is such an Alex move to make. So I'm picturing that van during this story. And yeah. Is, and is this, is this, this is you? This is real? Yeah. That was, uh, that was in Nashville, and that was with that van. Um, yeah. So I had built a bed frame in the back of it and would sleep in there very frequently. And showering was something I liked to do daily, despite the fact that. I was often not sleeping somewhere where I had access to a shower. I would sometimes get a big gallon jug of water, you know, if I was camping out in the desert, say, get the big gallon jug of water, and uh, I would go off behind some bushes, and I would dump water on my head, shampoo, dump it on everything else that needed cleaning, soap, and I would rinse off with the rest of the water and towel up and be good for the day. Uh... Or I'd do a truck stop bathroom, a lot of campgrounds, had showers. Uh, but in this case, I was sleeping in the gravel parking lot behind a venue in Nashville called the Bluebird Cafe. And it's a really 
famous hub for songwriters out there. And so I would either go to shows there or I would try to sign up for that open mic, which you had to do over the phone. It was always packed. Uh, but camped in the van behind the Bluebird because there was this big gravel lot. And the van was blocked from view from the street by a big bookmobile that never, it would move like once a week. And so I could park behind the bookmobile, sleep there and be undisturbed. And uh, on the other side of the fence was a neighborhood where a bunch of houses were getting remodeled. And so one morning I took a walk over through that neighborhood after sleeping in the van. I saw there was a house that was being remodeled, had the big construction dumpster in the lawn, but the lawn had been torn up and it was dirt now. And I saw that the side door to the house was cracked open. And so I went back to the van, I grabbed my towel, my clothes, my shampoo, and my soap. And I went and I peeked in the house. There was nobody in there. I went to the bathroom. I turned on the water and I had a shower. Whoa. So, But no hot water, I'm assuming, right? It was cold. It was very cold yeah, water. So did it look like any, like, you know, people had uh, squatted in it or anything or possibly at some point i yeah. found a, a big knife in Ooh. there like a hunting knife oh. and so i still have that actually i ended oh. up grabbing that uh but i would have stayed in there if i was okay. if i didn't have the van to sleep in you know that knife isn't a piece of evidence Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Get stopped with next that. Up gonna... Next Con... up, we're talking to Alex from prison. <laughs> right. Yeah. They connect me with one of those unsolved mysteries you were yeah. talking about. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, that was uh, my first experience like squatting. And it was a really, uh, not really, but like pretty upscale neighborhood. And so I would like go for walks in the morning around that neighborhood, like starting my day out. And and it was interesting because I mentioned in the poem, like trying to wave at people, trying to say hi. And for the most part, people in Nashville were super friendly and really cool. But something about this neighborhood could have been me, honestly. It could have been a guy that they had never seen before walking around the neighborhood. Well, they probably knew you were the guy in the van. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's funny is I, I sometimes we're, you know, you can hide in plain sight and people never see, but there's other times you can think you're doing a really good job right. of hiding behind the bookmobile. And there's actually probably, um, you know, there's neighborhood blogs and like, right. I can't remember what they're called, but like the yeah, neighborhood watch. Yeah. I know people that are on them. I'm not on one. Cause usually it's just people bitching about nonsense and just complaining for nothing. Mm, but they right, were probably, right. there's probably a group of them. They were like, you guys seen that van that's down there? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, the guy waves at me sometimes. I don't know what should we do. Well, I don't know. He looks fine. Yeah, um, he seems clean. Seems yeah, like he. he, seems he fine. I mean, I, think mean he, I think he's showering in in the Peterson's old house. Yeah. So you know they they were probably they probably knew of you or aware, <laughs> and were just keeping their distance and be like, okay, highly possible. <laughs> more more possible than the fact that like this was the one unfriendly patch right. of Nashville. Right. You know, I guess that that's a testament to my like optimistic mind like oh it yeah. can't be me yeah these people exactly. all suck <laughs> <laughs> that's funny though because you're just also such a you're kind of my barometer for like if someone does if someone didn't like you i'd be like what the hell's wrong with you you don't like, you don't like <laughs> alex like, dude, what do you mean you don't like alex like that's weird to me <laughs> that's good i'm glad i could be there yeah um let's see let's talk about um oh thing, thing oh was the, yeah thing was the let's let's well we can Talk about thing and wrap up from here because thing sounds good. Um, 
couple things. One, I know you and I are kind of come from more of like a agnostic teeters on atheism a little bit, I guess, kind of backgrounds like we're not a denomination of a religion, but this is, Mm -hmm. I've never, so I've never heard you talk of God or Jesus or anything, but in this story, you know, you speak, speak to it. So is this a younger Alex being scared of the dark and kind of expressing a poem, or is this just totally like, um, kind of like a a make-believe world you came up with? Like what, what was going on thing? This is actually a combination of memories from my childhood and, uh, and just a sense I had of uh, what my father represented to me at that time. So we're in Federal Way right now recording this. Mm-hmm. Where I lived in the early part of my life was on the other side of Federal Way with my father, who uh, he was uh, very, very deep into alcohol. And so oftentimes he would put my brother, sister, and I to sleep and then go out to the bar. And we wouldn't know about it. You know, he'd wait till we were out. And then he would go and he'd drink till two in the morning. And uh how how old were you? Oh, young. Uh too old to be a hell by yourself. Up until right. This was up until like age uh nine or ten. Damn. Yeah. And so um so I would wake up sometimes in the middle of the night and would know that he wasn't there. And uh, yeah, it's a very scary feeling as a kid, yeah. especially being the oldest of three kids. I've got my brother who was sharing a room with me and my sister was in her room. So automatically you take on that role as the, the head of the house, you know, but you're young. So it's scary. You don't feel like that's... Uh, something you should be doing, which you shouldn't be. Right. Um, but this this image kept coming back to me of like, of just this shadow under the streetlight. Uh, and, and it to me kind of represented how I felt he was in our lives at that time, was just always distant, always outside. Uh, and then he would often come home at you know, two in the morning, he would be stumbling drunk and slurring. And, and we were scared of him at that point. He was no longer our father. He was this this thing. And he was to be avoided because if we came into contact with it, uh, there were often painful consequences. And so this poem is kind of putting into words some of how I felt about that experience. Wow, man. That's really powerful, dude. Um, yeah. That's... that's uh... Thank you for sharing that with mm-hmm. us and going, you know, getting that personal with it because um, that is a really personal story. And I know yeah. there's there's a lot of a lot of us out there that can relate to that. You know, having like a parent that struggled with alcoholism on a level that was unsafe to their surroundings. Not only you know they're not only unsafe to themselves, but the alcoholism gets to a point of like you know it's a very cliche thing of like I think one of the beer companies used to say is like when the fun when it stops being fun or something, they had some slogan around that. It's like, yeah, it's really true. Like you're not the fun drunk anymore. Mm -hmm. You're, you're, you're the one that everyone's scared of, man. Right. And like, you're, you're, you're the thing. Yeah. You're the thing. And that's, that's a really interesting and, and, um, deep, you know, thought that you put into this with, with it being the thing and, and talking about that with your dad, man. So, I thank you a lot for being here today to read this. It was a lot of fun. We had like, you know, 
we had like our goofy moments and I like that, you know, like that we got the serious moments in here too. So you're getting yeah. the whole picture of Alex um, and, and our friendship too. You know, this is, this is also kind of a time for you to learn about us and how we've, um, you know, like our friendship and what Alex has been through and where these poems come from. So thanks a lot. And when we come back, we'll, um, Alex is going to continue into the book and the next poem he'll be reading uh, when we come back will be They Keep It Cold. So we look forward to talking again. Yeah, man. This has been a blast. Thanks awesome. for having me. Yeah, man. Likewise. Thanks. And we'll, we'll get to that, uh, that time-honored tradition now. All right. Let's do it. All right. All right.